This podcast is informed by lived experience and professional practice, but it is not a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice. If this episode prompts you to seek further help, and if you live in Victoria, please contact us via our hub service. Details are in our show notes. If you're listening outside of Victoria, please get in touch with the Butterfly Foundation. Hi friends, welcome back to another year of Candid Conversations, a podcast by Eating Disorders Victoria. My name's Bree and I'm super happy to be back in your ears to discuss all things eating disorder recovery. This year on the podcast, we'll be alternating our monthly episodes with a conversational episode like today and a lived experience storytelling episode where I'll pass the mic to an EDV ambassador so that they can tell their story directly to you in their own words. We're starting the year with a conversation with Gemma, telehealth nurse and recovery ambassador here at EDV. And as you can see from the episode title, we're talking about the concept of the double life. While Gemma is wearing her professional hat in this conversation, she is also incredibly generous with sharing her own lived experience. So a huge thank you to Gemma for bringing your full and glorious self to this chat. I know you guys will appreciate what Gemma has to say. Okay, let's get into it. Here's my conversation about the double life with Gemma. Well, thank you, Gemma, for coming back on the podcast. We really appreciate your insights every time you come on. I'd like to start with something that we want to do a little bit more this year, which is to get to know our guests a little bit better, especially when they have their own eating disorder lived experience. So I know this is a big question to ask you to condense down into an answer on a podcast, but can you tell us a little bit about your own eating disorder, lived experience, and also what recovery was like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Bree, for having me back on the podcast. Love to always get back on the mic for candid conversations. So for anyone new, my name is Gemma, obviously, and I use she, her pronouns. A little bit about me. I'm 29 years young and work as a registered nurse, both here at EDV in telehealth nursing team and also externally. Um, When I'm not working, you'll find me scoping the next cafe to visit, practicing some yoga or dancing, planning my wedding or going on a walk with the intention of just patting dogs, to be honest. So my passion for my work was derived from my own lived experience of an eating disorder. So um, I developed anorexia nervosa around the age of about 15 years, which kind of coincided with some experiences of anxiety, depression and obsessive compulsive disorder as well. Um, my journey to recovery took a number of long years before leading me to where my life is today, um, which is something that honestly I didn't think was possible. You know, to be really real, including very vast periods where my motivation was just non-existent and that was coupled with the fear of um, recovery being really immense. So, you know, throughout periods of motivation and hope and determination and everything in between, Um, So I guess for me, recovery has been one of the hardest things I've ever experienced, but the process of healing has been the most empowering and influential um, in becoming the person I am today. Thank you, Gemma, for sharing that. And it's probably really relevant to what we're talking about today on the podcast, because we are talking about that really sort of up and down period, that non-linear period, which we have called the double life because that's kind of what it feels like. It's like you're living a double life where you're 
still in recovery and you might be doing well and re-engaging with life and your normal activities, but you're still very much in recovery and needing to do all the things that you need to do to ensure that your recovery is continuing. And this is a really challenging time. It's really exhausting, frustrating, but also kind of exciting when you do get those wins. So we wanted to acknowledge the roller coaster that people are on during this period and talk about it today. Would you agree? Absolutely. I'm so glad we're giving this topic airtime because I personally, and I'm sure that I'm not alone, found this stage really hard and it really doesn't get spoken about enough. I think we can all agree that we know recovery can be really tough. Um, Quite honestly, I think it can feel like a full-time job and, you know, it's a little bit messy at times with all the highs and lows, but I think this stage is the hard one because you're not at your most, you know, quote unquote unwell stage, but, you know, where you had lots of support and people were aware that you were struggling, but you're potentially struggling even more now as there's so much change going on and, you know, most likely your eating disorder isn't really approving of all these changes, um, but you're also trying to, you know, get back into working, living life, but still maintaining your recovery as well. So I guess it can you know, for me, I found it really frustrating if things didn't happen as easily as I'd hoped. You know, for example, you go out for dinner, which you're excited about to catch up with friends, but then you're super anxious afterwards about what you ate and you're left feeling defeated and questioning what, you know, will this ever end this internal battle all the time? But I think it's so important to remember that we don't enter recovery with, you know, the intention of staying you know, in what I like to call, quote, recovery mode forever. Mm. Um, it won't always be this hard, I can assure you that. I guess for most people, you know, things like meal plans or appointments, etc., are incredibly supportive, you know, measures to facilitate recovery. And sometimes these supportive structures, you know, stick around for a little while just to keep us on track. Um, but over time in recovery, we work towards these things taking up less space and life taking up more. But, you know, being in recovery doesn't mean we can't enjoy, you know, and engage in life activities, things like birthdays and holidays and celebrations, social eating, friends and family catch-ups or working and studying. You know, whilst there's a period where some of these things might need to go on hold in recovery, reintegrating back into life with these, you know, important parts of life is actually really important and really remind us of why we're fighting for recovery and in turn keep us on the path of recovery as well. So Gemma, you mentioned work and study and I think that's something that's really relevant to right now because a lot of us are returning to work or maybe you're starting to think about going back to uni. I know school kids are heading back this week. What are some of the things that you would encourage people to consider as part of returning to work or returning to study or school or uni? Yeah, really great question. So I guess going back to work or study can bring a real mix of emotions, I guess, excitement for normality and something else to focus on, but also a lot of stress and anxiety about how do I do these things and still prioritize my recovery. Um, So whilst working and studying can be great motivations in recovery, committing to work and study and recovery at the same time can feel like a real juggling act. And 
something really important to remember, um, you know, the bottom line of all of this is that recovery is always the number one priority. Without our health, we cannot engage in these activities to the best of our potential. So I strongly recommend having a chat with your treating team or someone you trust about how you can ensure that you are still taking care of yourself when you're picking up things back in life again, like work and study. Um, For example, continuing with your appointments should be maintained as much as possible. And telehealth can be, you know, a good option sometimes just to make things a bit more accessible. Um, Taking breaks for meals and snacks is also essential. If it isn't possible, discussing with your dietitian or someone else that knows where things are at for you to make a plan on those days, how you can make sure that you're still eating what you need to be eating when you're not working. And if you feel comfortable, it might even be helpful discussing these things with your manager or your study facilitators just to make sure that you can be your best self when you're engaging in study and work as well. I'm curious, Gemma, what was it like for you? Because you mentioned, you know, you were still a teenager when you were acutely unwell. Were you going back to school when you were sort of in this period? What was that adjustment like for you? Yeah, it's a super good question. So I've sort of, you know, experienced recovery as a teenager, as a young adult and an adult. And I think these adjustments, you know, are really hard. And I think it's really okay to admit that, you know, that that, that's going to be overwhelming. And I think for me, it was just a whirlwind. Um, But it was also really motivating for me. So I found returning to study, um, you know, I knew that for me, working on my recovery was important because that means if I didn't do it, I couldn't go to uni. And uni was important to me as I'd identified that helping people was going to be one of my life's purposes and nursing was my vessel to achieve this. So, And this was the same once I started my nursing career too. I realized that to be the best version of myself, I needed to be well, no matter how hard it felt to achieve this. So while struggling appointments between shifts was tiring and I resented having to eat my evening snack in the car after a long shift, over time, all of these things actually got easier. You know, for example, an impromptu dinner date didn't feel like the end of the world anymore. And having some cake at a cafe was something I looked forward to. And seeing friends that I hadn't seen for a long time didn't make me nervous anymore. So I think besides the essence of time making things easier, I think the fact that I was getting to live life again also helped me build so much more motivation and happiness for me. Life was becoming to be, you know, becoming colourful for the first time. I was meeting people, going on new adventures and I was loving it. And I think for me that helped me develop evidence for myself that life was really worth fighting for. You mentioned the meeting people and finding that colour in life again, which is so beautiful. And a lot of that stuff, I guess, comes with sharing those experiences with others. And I'm imagining people who might be starting to make those connections in their life again, or maybe meeting new people. Maybe they're thinking about dating or, I don't know, making new friends at school or at uni or whatever. What would you say to those people who are trying to find this balance of maintaining recovery, but also opening themselves up to new experiences? Yeah, such a good one. And I think first and foremost, It is okay to admit that socializing can feel daunting. I think sometimes we just expect that these things are all happy and rainbows, but sometimes you're actually like, actually, this is really nerve wracking. Um, I personally felt that way. So, and I think as well, you know, the eating disorder might make you fear what people will say or think of you if you perceive that your body has changed or, you know, what you might be eating. But I really invite you to be curious with that thought. What would you think of a family or friend? Would you think of them differently if their body had changed or would you simply be happy? to see them 
And I guess in terms of meeting new people, be it a friend, a colleague, or going on a date, or even people that you already know, um, you may not have, you may not be sure how much you're willing to share about what you're experiencing. So I think having a think about what feels okay to talk about and what you prefer to keep private. And this is entirely up to you. You actually don't owe anyone an explanation if it doesn't feel safe at this point in time. You know, your story is yours. Um, as you feel more comfortable with someone, you may choose to share your journey or aspects of your journey with them if you think it's helpful. You know, you do what feels right for you and whatever pace suits you as well. And I think like in terms of eating in the early stages of recovery, planning actually can be really helpful. Like if you're going out for dinner, you know, discussing the menu with, you know, your dietitian or someone you trust just to help you decide what's going to, you know, meet your meal plan or make sure that you're, you know, having what you need to have. But I guess as we progress with recovery, being able to eat more spontaneously and intuitive is actually a really great skill to develop. But always have that discussion with your team around the right timing for this for you. And if you struggle eating around others, perhaps doing a bit of like gradual exposure, you know, starting off with something, you know, with someone that you feel comfortable with or trialing just having you know a drink or a coffee or some with someone just so that you can build that confidence before working your way up to a meal and I guess the other thing to think about which is something that kind of hits you and then you're like oh I wasn't ready for this but I think having this conversation now is helpful is sometimes the unhelpful dialogue riddled with diet culture that can sometimes weave its way into social situations um I know for me in the early days of my recovery, this would be super triggering. You know, there's nothing worse than sitting in the tea room at work or going out for dinner and ordering, you know, what your body needs and then having someone, you know, innocently but unhelpfully say, well, you're not really going to eat all that and then cue, well, I can't eat all this now. You know, those thoughts creep in, you know, this stuff is really tough. But I guess know that people who make these comments don't actually mean them or understand the harm that they cause. But they're merely a product of the unhelpful messages our society is, you know, truly bombarded with. My advice, breathe, take a moment, remind yourself of your why. For some, you know, choosing to ignore the comment, redirect the conversation can just be a bit less less confronting. But for others or at different stages of your recovery, a simple reply of I'm just having what my body needs or something along the lines of it's unhelpful if we talk about waiting, can we just talk about something else? Um, can actually be quite empowering or feel free to come up with your own line that helps you break down the power of diet culture in your social circles. I am notorious for doing this now and whilst it felt scary at first, I've actually found everyone responds so well to changing these conversations about food and body and actually find it really helpful and inspiring too. So listening to this, it sounds like this period of recovery is a lot about I guess almost trial and error and, you know, testing what might be challenging and then recalibrating sort of for next time. I can imagine though for a lot of people it would become really frustrating and I can see that there's the potential for a lot of self-criticism or self-flagellation. What do you do or what would you say to people to help them not spiral into that uh, negativity or that self-criticism that would set them backwards? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually... It's so hard, this process. I think, you know, you can definitely feel defeated at times, I think, because the process isn't linear. It's so easy to get caught up in the struggles and forget about how far you've actually come. 
I think taking small but realistic steps that are, you know, actually achievable is the way's best way to move forward and build your confidence so that you can, you know, prove to yourself that you can do the hard things and that it'll be okay. It's so important to be patient with yourself and trust the process. I guess this is definitely easier said than done, I know, but I think it is it's hard because it just hurts so much that, you know, once you you finally make the call, yep, yep, I'm going to get better, and you hope that, you know, it'll get easier at that point, but we know that the eating disorder doesn't magically disappear that quickly at least anyway, um, that it'll dig its claws in and make it even harder for you, even though you're trying so, so hard. But rather than beating yourself up in this process, I really encourage you to be kind and gentle with yourself. You are fighting a war in your mind and you are an absolute warrior showing up and doing that day in and day out. A line I often share is that no one ever hated themselves into loving themselves and I think this speaks so true um, for the importance of self-compassion in recovery. You know, practicing self-care regularly, even if it feels super icky, I know that I hated doing it at first, is paramount in developing your relationship with yourself and for your healing as well. And self-care looks different for everyone and for different emotions too that you might be experiencing. Something I found helpful was writing a list of different things I could do to be more self-caring with myself for different feelings. For example, if I was feeling sad or angry or alone or tired, but sometimes just starting with a general list and picking what feels right in the moment can be helpful and I think those little moments of glimmers of hope that you have and the little moments where it wasn't as hard or you had a really good connection with someone hold on to those write them down remind yourself because that's what's going to get you through those tougher moments as well it sounds like by the sounds of it it sounds like you enjoyed writing lists and all that kind of stuff is that something that you found helpful were you a writer did you journal what did you find useful Yeah, so the perfectionist in me and the lacking everything to be orderly, I loved writing lists for things and I did a lot of my own sort of exploration around why am I feeling this way and what do I need to move forward and setting goals and kind of helping myself understand myself. But I think the most powerful thing for me was journaling. Um, To be honest, at the first it was horrific. I would just be writing down I hate this. I'm angry. (laughs) I'm feeling this. It was just not productive, but it was an outlet and, or it would just kind of be a record of the day and how, you know, frustrated I felt. But as I moved through that, I started to sort of let the page, you know, be my outlet. And if I was feeling overwhelmed or if I was feeling happy or if I was feeling anything in between, my journal was my space where I could let it all out on a page. If my mind was exploding with thoughts, it would just go onto that page. And I found over time it became sometimes poetic as well. Sometimes it would kind of the process of forming my words from this mess in my head to something that I could write on the page, whether it sounded good, whether it sounded ridiculous, it was just something that I could offload. And when I closed that book, it was done and I just felt so much lighter and freer for it. Um, And I think I did it quite regularly initially and now I still journal. It's not very frequent anymore, but it's kind of like, oh, I feel like I just have some stuff I need to process. And it's amazing. Even now I kind of look forward to journaling because I get it out and for some reasons things start to make sense on things that have been lurking in my mind for weeks it just kind of makes sense when it's on the page so highly recommend journaling I know it can be really daunting if you haven't done it before and it's kind of like what would I write but give it a go you might surprise yourself sometimes even dot points dot points are a great place to start or drawing or mind maps I do sometimes as well but anywhere where you can 
let go of some of the stuff in your head and pop it onto a page and close that page or share it with someone if you feel that that will be helpful. It's a really beautiful way to connect with yourself and it's a great point of reflection as well either in the moment to reflect or even down the track to look at how far you've come as well. Yes, I remember one of our other ambassadors was sharing that she journaled as well. And what I really liked with her approach to it was rather than, you know, a lot of people might say, you know, I'll journal right before I go to bed or first thing when I wake up in the morning or whatever, which totally fine, that may work perfectly well for many people. But she found rather than set herself up with that, okay, that's another rule and like another expectation. She was just going to do it whenever the need arose. So she would always have her pen and paper with her. And I love that. That was just such a intuitive way to approach the practice. So whenever she had that, it was just straight down into the journal. She didn't have to set a time for herself, didn't have to, you know, make it five points, you know, five things that I'm grateful for, whatever that might be. It was just whatever felt right to her in that moment. So I love that practice. I love that idea. Give it a go if Yeah, I think that's that was literally my journey too. Initially, it was so rigid. It was like I have to do this every day, and I just resented doing it. But once I took the pressure off, and I just thought, when I need to, I'll do it. And it's interesting, even you know, people around me would be like, "Do you need to journal? Like you're feeling a bit." And I was like, "Yeah, I need to journal now." (laughs) So, um, and it was yeah, it's just something that's so so powerful. So the more you can do it as a way to be helpful rather than be another thing on your to do list, I think it can really make a difference. I hope for you as well. We've talked a lot about the individual with the eating disorder. I just want to touch on those support people or caregivers. For those people, this can also be a really challenging time because it's hard to know exactly where someone is at in their recovery. You know, like you say, they might be looking really physically well and you might think, oh, maybe this is all behind us. And yeah, it can be hard to know how, where does our relationship sit now and what can we do and what can we not do? What would you say to those people who know someone with an eating disorder and they really want to do the right thing by them? Yeah, that is such a good one. And I think it's it's so beautiful when, you know, family or friends or other supports are kind of like, you know, I want to be able to still be there for them. I know that, you know, maybe things might be looking a little bit better. Okay, they're going out for a meal or they look a bit healthier or they look a bit happier or they're back at school. But I think the more you can acknowledge and, you know, by listening even to this podcast, acknowledging that the work isn't done yet. Sometimes our mind hasn't quite caught up to the physical yet. And, you know, I think being really honest with the person, I know that for me, I I think it's so helpful that rather than assuming, just kind of checking in and, you know, with what would that person would find helpful. So everyone is so different. Some people might be like, you know what, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I've got my supports. I just find it helpful if you can still have dinner with me um, at nighttime, mum. Or it could be actually I'm struggling more now than I was previously. Can you maybe just check in with me once a day? Or I think the more you can tailor it to not assuming what you think would be helpful, but just, you know, kind of like I often say in netball, like here if you need, like knowing that if someone, <laughs> I, I laugh, I, mm-hmm. I, it's, so, it's such a terrible joke, but it's, that's what it's so, I get it, it, I get it's it. It's relevant, but it's kind of like, I'm not going to, you know, expect that I know what to do. But, and I think as someone in the position, you can't expect others to know what to do or know that you're struggling without averting it. So I think it, the communication works both ways. I think if you are struggling, reaching out to your supports and being like, hey, it's not okay, it would be helpful. 
and you know giving them strategic things that they can do to help you because there's nothing worse than wanting to help someone but you know like do I hug them do I pat them on the back do I talk to them about it what do I do so I think the more you can own it and obviously like not when you're in the heat of the moment because at that point you're probably like I don't know what I need right now but when you're having a good space um sort of day just kind of thinking look if I was having a rough day what could someone do for me would it be just sit on the couch with me and watch a movie would it be um just make sure that I've had my meals today like thinking about you know and different people in your life too so what you might um find helpful from a friend might be different to what you find helpful from your parents or from your therapist or your dietitian so I think yeah utilizing spaces when you feel you know okay and thinking about look if I'm having a bad day what do I need can be really really powerful um and I think for the person that is supporting not being afraid to ask that person look I don't know what's going on for you right now and owning that but also being like I am here for you in whatever way you need I will check in with you if you don't want me to that's fine as well but um, I think just showing that unconditional support no matter where where someone is in their journey um, knowing someone is there makes all the difference. Mm. So we're coming to the end of our conversation Gemma so I want to finish by talking about motivation because as we've discussed in this episode this is really hard work. All of this stuff, you can see where you may want to give up every now and then. And it's understandable. It's really, really hard. So where do you find that motivation from? Where did you find that motivation from? And yeah, what would you say to listeners who are maybe struggling with motivation right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I think acknowledging that, you know, lapses or relapses in recovery, you know, are both normal and can be expected, but feel really overwhelming and confusing nonetheless. And I think my main piece of advice is not to be afraid to be really honest with yourself and that it's okay. And in fact, such a strength to admit that you're struggling and the need to increase your supports when things are slipping. And I think the sooner you can notice it, the better and so that you can get on track sooner. And I think sort of similar to that last question we were just sort of talking about was, you know, doing those little self check-ins each day where you can be practiced, you know, being more in tune with yourself and your needs and simply asking yourself, how do I feel today? Or is there anything that's worrying me at the moment? What do I need for myself and for others today? Um, other things you might notice is becoming more preoccupied with your eating or your body, feeling more anxious or feeling low or increasing your eating disorder behaviors. And if you do notice these things, don't panic breathe hold yourself in this moment it can be really uncomfortable to be vulnerable but reach out to those that you trust be it treating team family or friends increase your level of support wherever you can get back to basics eat regularly sleeping well self-care and remember you're not failing you're just learning something else in your journey but I think when it comes to motivation, um, no matter how big or small your motivation is, it makes such a difference in recovery, particularly when we have those moments where we take a few steps back. Um, because think about it, if someone tells you to do something that sounds really challenging and there's no reason or benefit from doing it, would you do it? My guess is no. Um, and the same can be applied for recovery. I know that in the depths of an eating disorder, though, it can be really hard to find motivation, particularly if you've had a slip up. And I know that for me, it was, you know, non-existent at times, that motivation. And I think this is because it can feel really scary thinking about letting go of your eating disorder. Um, you know, after all, it's it served your purpose and, you know, it takes up such a big part of your life you know, it can feel like a void, you know, with it being gone, like there'll be a void left behind, it can feel like. 
But, you know, rather than focusing on what you're afraid of losing, I really invite you to think about the amazing things that you will be gaining. So how incredible would it be to not be at war with your thoughts? You know, wouldn't it be wonderful to you know, be able to be more spontaneous, to enjoy being social, to travel, to work, study, or to bring to life any of the dreams and ambitions you have for yourself but haven't been able to do whilst unwell? And you know what? This is what real recovery is. It's about living life that is meaningful and fulfilling to you. For some people, you know, motivation comes from dreaming about the big picture and that's the catalyst that gets them motivated. For others, it's about starting small, finding evidence of their why, you know, to build motivation along the way. Whatever works for you, you roll with it. You know, write yourself those post-it notes, pop them on your mirror, create a mood board on Pinterest if you need, make a table mat even with pictures and words that remind you at mealtimes why to keep going, journal about it, talk about it. This is your life that you are creating for you and that you are so deserving and worthy of. I know that you can do it and I promise you that it will be worth it as well. I love the idea of a table mat. I'm... Seeing like a decoupage, like craft project. It's a great post-meal distraction as well Mm. to put that together. So yeah, get crafty, get some photos, magazines, words, whatever you find inspiring. And I can guarantee you looking down at that plate when you've got things surrounding it of why you're doing it makes all the difference. And just finally, Gemma, can you tell our listeners what your relationship to recovery is like now? Yeah, for sure. I think it's something that so many people go like, you know, are you recovered? What is it like? Um, For me now, recovery is a continual journey of coming home to and nurturing and embracing self, um, shedding the parts of me that no longer serve me and fostering new aspects of my being that are, you know, creating my identity and making my heart feel full. Um, Now that I'm in the best place in my recovery that I've ever been, my goal is to always maintain my wellness. It's not easy. You know, the odd occasion that I notice myself focusing on my eating more or becoming insecure in my body, I use this as an opportunity to pause, slow down, check in with myself. What's happening in my world at the moment? And I can guarantee that 10 out of 10 times that I ask this, there is a completely unrelated stressor that is challenging me. Um, so essentially these thoughts or feelings that, you know, really rarely come into play um, or that surface and I'm kind of like, where'd you come from? Um, they are kind of like a barometer for stress in my life. But I, rather than, you know, needing to change my eating or my appearance, I take this um, as time to address and support myself with the actual issues that these thoughts are masking. And in this process, I now feel so much more self-aware and in control. Um, And the ability to support myself makes me feel really strong. Well, Gemma, can you tell our listeners how they can connect with you and with our telehealth nurse service at EDV? Absolutely. So if you are keen to get some extra supports involved in your recovery, or maybe you're not even sure if you have an eating disorder, but things just don't quite feel right. Myself and my colleague, Alison, we are very accessible on EDV's website. So just jump on to www.eatingdisorders.org.au. And if you scroll to our services, you'll find telehealth nursing. Um, you'll be able to just fill out you know, a simple booking page with a few questions just so that we are prepared 
prepared to have a chat. Um, we book in a time that suits you. We're available Monday to Thursday and we're both super, super excited to chat with you, to get to know you and support you in your journey to recovery. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Gemma. No worries. Thanks so much, Bree. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Boon Wurrung and Woi Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging.